following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. This is the sixth illustration that Jesus has given how the law should be preached correctly, not falsely. So in this Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus has been teaching primarily one lesson above all others how the law of God should be delivered, preached, evangelically, that is, in a gospel way. Thou shalt love. Is that the gospel? Many people might say yes, because the word love is in there, but it is not the gospel. What is the gospel? God so loved that he gave. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the world. There is a loving God who has done what is needed that we might be redeemed and saved and blessed, and in every way favored by his grace. It's his love is the gospel, not our love. But Jesus is telling us how we should preach the law in an evangelical, in a gospel way. Evangel is the word for gospel in the New Testament, if you don't know that. And he first tells us What is the wrong understanding of the word, of the law, of the truth? And then he tells us what is the right, correct understanding of the word, the truth, the law. So he says, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thy, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. So. The false is thou shalt love. No, the false is thou shalt hate thine enemy. You see, they had no Bibles. They were dependent upon others, Pharisees particularly, and the scribes and other teachers of the law. They were dependent upon a verbal interpretation completely. They probably couldn't even read. If they could, they didn't have Bibles everywhere. And so what had been taught to them was the only thing they knew. And Jesus says, you've been taught wrongly. What had they been taught? To hate their enemy. That is the false. And the true is the other. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
Well, I was going to look at Exodus. Let me see if I can find the place in Exodus where I was going to read. Well, I was going to read from Leviticus 19 verse also. Verse 18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thus saith the Lord. So we are commanded to love our neighbor. Are we commanded to hate our enemies? We must find out who our neighbor is, first of all. But then we're told in Exodus, and I think it's the first three verses of chapter 23, Thou shalt not raise a false report, but put thine hand upon the wicked as an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to wrest judgment. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. If thou meet thine enemy's ox, here's where I was wanting to read, if thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. Enemies, ox returned, no questions asked. Is that hating your enemy? Clearly the Old Testament does never teach that. What we must discover is who our neighbor is. But we must first of all disimbue any notion we hate our enemies. Now there is retributive justice in the civil courts in Israel and also today. And it is right that there be retributive justice in the law courts. But wicked, guilty, when found guilty in a court of law, should receive retribution, punishment, just and fair according to the crime. But this is not what Jesus is speaking to. This is not what the Pharisees were teaching, hating your enemy. Because Jesus didn't teach that, the Pharisees did. He's speaking about how you and I and the whole people of God should treat their enemy. Nothing in all of Scripture tells us to hate them. You cannot find it. It is not there. Yes, the law courts can practice that retribution and justice because they must do so to keep society in line. But not as we are living. That's not the way you and I, God's people, live. Not at all. Listen again, I read in Proverbs, and I read it again in the 25th chapter, 20, yes, verses 21. If thine enemy hunger, give him bread to eat. Enemy, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. So the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law in the old times, in Jesus' day as well, did not read the scriptures very carefully. You see, they thought neighbor meant friend. No. Not at all. Maybe you think that way. That's not true. Jesus taught us how to find out who our neighbor is when he taught us the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know it. Don't you? And there was a man who found a Jew, though he was a Samaritan, 
Samaritans hated the Jews, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were enemies. But when he found this poor man, a Jew, in need, he didn't pass by on the other side. He carried him on his donkey to an end, paid for his medicine, and said, if there's more needed, when I return this way again, I will pay you more to the innkeeper. Who was neighbor? Now Jesus turned the parable around, turned the issue around. See, the, they were asking, who is my neighbor? Be a neighbor, Jesus says. You must be the neighbor. Were they friends? Probably not. They didn't even know each other. They could not be friends, could they? I guess. I wouldn't think they would be friends. But they should be neighbor, one to another. Dear, dear friends, we have perverted the truth, turned it into a lie, and made our neighbors only those who are friendly and good to us. So did the Jews, so do we. Do we not? And I cannot tell you how dreadful the consequences are from such a position. Jesus says, what does he say plainly? Thou shalt love thy neighbor and thine enemy, even when the neighbor, certainly not a friend, but an enemy, love him. and you'll be like your Father in heaven. And we'll be like Jesus, who loved those who persecuted him and reviled him, crucified him. You see, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In their darkness, in their night, in their blindness, in their hardness of heart, they don't even know they're crucifying the Lord of heaven and earth and the only Redeemer who by this very death would redeem because he loved. He was willing to endure it all for our sake, for the sake of sinners, enemies who had transgressed. So, now there is a false interpretation of this. It's called pacifism. And it teaches that we should do good in order to get people to do good. That's not what Jesus is saying. Not a pacifist, not at all. In other words, we think the power of redemption can be helped along and enabled by our doing good to others and loving them and not retaliating. They even rule out, the pacifists do, that there should be any law courts almost, at least that seems to be their position. No retribution even in the courts of the land. No, Jesus was not teaching this. We cannot redeem others by loving them or enabling them to redeem themselves or save themselves. Salvation is in the hands of God alone. 
Out of his love he has come and redeemed by the death of his only son who suffered at the hands of his enemies. And Stephen could do this. How could man like Stephen pray as he prayed? How can you love your enemies? You don't, do you? Only by the grace of God, only by the Spirit of God's power will we ever know anything of this kind of behavior. So we must look to the Lord and depend upon Him alone and ask for His help. Now Lord Jones pointed out that in his commentary on this passage of Scripture that Jesus doesn't command us to like our enemies, but to love them. Is there a difference? Oh, yes. Liking someone is based on feeling, on emotion, on attraction. Loving is based on what? I think love is the most misunderstood thing in the world. Maybe there is something more misunderstood. Maybe be Christ himself. But it is one of the most misunderstood things in all the world. Loving is action. Doing something for another person. That's the way Jesus puts it, does he not? I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. Jesus is not talking about feeling, about emotion. He's talking about action. Bless them. They curse you, but you bless them. You do the thing that will bless them. Do good to them that hate you. Action, doing good. Not bad, not treating them like they treated you. The Old Testament is all against that. So is the New Testament, of course. Not just the New Testament, the Old as well. Did you not hear it in Exodus and other places that I've read? And pray for them that despitefully use you. Pray because you ask God to help them, change them, forgive them. You're acknowledging that it is in His power and His alone that all of this is possible. And yet you are trying to do the right, the good, action, not necessarily liking them particularly. Though you may grow to like them when you start doing things that are proper and right. Even if you don't like them, you will be merciful, kind, and forgiving, and loving your enemy. Now I say to you, how can I do this? You say to me, I cannot do this. I say to you, you can. By the power of God himself, the Spirit of God working in you will enable you more and more to do this. But how does he do it? First of all, you must learn from him. Come unto me, Jesus said, and learn of me, for I am meek. Jesus says, I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest to your souls. 
We have to learn from God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray for the Spirit to be our teacher. We, but we don't depend upon him. We think we can understand it. We don't understand it. We don't know what God is saying clearly. Maybe he's saying much more than I probably said today, and I probably would have said a little more if I'd had my notes, but I'm doing what I can. So you listen carefully. You must have God as your teacher today. And when he teaches you, you learn it inwardly, in the heart, not just outwardly. And what is it that you learn? What are you and they will learn it convincingly. You must be convinced of it. Well, you'll be convinced of the truth of God's word, that it means what it says, that you must do what it says. Love your enemy. That's the command here. But all of those commands, God must teach you. Everything in the law must be taught to you by God. And he teaches it inwardly, spiritually, in our hearts. And he convinces us of its truth so that we will be convinced of the truth of the Word of God. You're not convinced the Word of God is true. If you were, you'd be different people. I would be different if I were fully convinced all the time, always, of the truth of the Word of God. And you will learn it experimentally. That is in your experience. You will know in experience that it is the Word of God that you are loving because of His love. And it's permanent. It's not ephemeral. It doesn't pass away. It's abiding. It continues forever. The Word of God does. When God teaches you, and God does teach by His Spirit, inwardly, convincingly, Experientially, powerfully, our experience brings power to do the thing. And the Spirit of God gives the power to do it. And permanently, abidingly, it doesn't evaporate, it doesn't fade away, it continues forever and ever and ever, even in heaven. We'll be practicing what? The Word of God, the law of God, the commandments of God forever and ever. Suppose everybody did what God said in his word, in his commandments, all the time, and never broke them. Suppose that. Would that be bad? A minister of mine asked that question to a congregation one time, and he said a little boy sitting away from his parents up here on the front row spoke out and said, that would be like heaven. <laughs> and so it would, wouldn't it? If we did all that God commands all the time, consistently. And that's what it will be in heaven. We will all be doing his will all the time. And nothing else, not disobeying at any point. Suppose we loved our enemy not liking him necessarily, but loving him all the time from a pure heart, convinced that it's right, experientially knowing something of that truth 
Because when you do it, it's, you know it's right in your experience. God confirms in our own lives the Word of God. And powerfully. So that we're able to do it. We cannot by our own power do it. But by the teaching of God, by the instruction of the Spirit, and by the empowerment of the Spirit. And we do it abidingly, continually, permanently, not going back, staying with it. But we have not. Not one of us has ever kept the law at any point, perfectly, all the time, without violating it in any way. So what we must do, bow humbly, and not only pray for our enemies, we should pray for ourselves, that God would be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. We would taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste. It's experience, you see. And the language is, all of Scripture is full of this kind of language. Experience, you know. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh my, He is so good. Pardoning all our sins. And having been forgiven much, we will forgive others much, will we not? If we know his forgiveness, then we, in turn, forgive one another. The Lord is dealing with us carefully, mercifully, graciously, lovingly, all the day long. Is he not? Even those adverse providences, as we call them, even those afflictions that we feel are not very pleasant, are a mercy from God. Where would I be? Where would you be? Had God not chastened, disciplined, corrected us over and over so patiently? Receive it. Yes, afflictions are a blessing. In my late life, I read a book by Thomas Case, an essay on affliction. A man sentenced to die by King James, the sixth of Scotland, the first of England. He was sentenced when he was the king of England to death. And his friend, Christopher Law, was put to death. Thomas Case was pardoned. And out of that pardon, he wrote this book on the blessings of affliction. 21 ways in which God blesses through afflictions. If you're troubled over your afflictions, I commend that book to you, Thomas Case. It's been reprinted recently. Reprinted again. I have it from an older copy because I've had it on my shelf for years and never read it. But I wish I had read it when I was a young man. Wow. The blessing of affliction. So we pray for our enemies that they would indeed not perish as they deserve, as we deserve, but they would be forgiven 
and blessed and by the power of God redeemed and by the cross of Christ. This is the cross work that Christ has done for sinners, for you, for me, sinners, and for them, our enemies, sinners. And none who come to him, who come to him in faith, will he reject and cast out. Not one. All he will receive into his favor, into salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that we might not perish. Deserve perish. What is perish? My mother reached into the refrigerator at the bottom shelf, coolant, and found a stalk of celery. Picked it up and it turned to liquid. This is perished. She said, I was a little child. I thought, well, now I know what perish means. <laughs> Corrupt. We would perish in corruption, in sin. Filth. Ter she threw it as quick as she could into the garbage. She could hardly get it there quick enough. She had to mop up some of it because it was dripping. Oh. Not perish, but have everlasting life. Have life Life everlasting through our Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. What he did for us, can we not in some way seek to do for one another and for others, even the enemy? Well, dear brothers, sisters, let us receive the prayer of application. We come, Lord, humbly, dependently, strugglingly, and ask you to bless your word, not for our sake, but for your sake. We would recognize the power of the gospel in our Lord Jesus Christ and know what it means to teach, to preach, to communicate the law of God evangelically, gospel way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we pray you would bless cannot bless ourselves. You only can bless us with a poor spirit, contrite heart that trembles at your word because we believe it is true, altogether true. So to your glory we ask all this blessing upon this opening of your word, upon your word. And we pray it all in the only name we can ask and expect to be heard, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.